Hey, good morning. How are we? Hope you're doing well. It's good to see you, whether you're in this room or whether you're joining us online. We just want to say thank you and, and uh, just welcome. Glad to be able to be here this morning to be able to worship together. By the way, if, uh, if we have not yet got a chance to meet, my name's Aaron. I serve as the executive pastor here and so privileged to be um, and just opening God's word uh, with you this morning. So I hope that's courage. But you can, uh, just as a, as a way of intro, start to get uh, your way to Psalm 121. So your Bibles, your phones, whatever it looks like, we're going to be in Psalm 121. We're starting a new series, and what we're going to do together as God's people is walk through a journey in the Psalms of Ascent. And so if you're unfamiliar with what the Psalms of Ascent are, really, here's, here's the aim. This is what the, the series is going for, but this is also what we um, are going for as, or as what the Psalms were really aiming for, but what we're going for as God's people is that we might be able to take our eyes and lift them to the Lord, and we might be able to start to look at Him as the, the, the place that our help comes from. See, these Psalms of Ascent, that's what they were designed to do. So just a little bit of a background, Psalms of Ascent are, are found from 120 all the way through 134, and just so you know, what they were, they were sung on a journey. So, um, Three, four, five times a year, kind of dependent on what the festivals were. The people of Israel would travel to Jerusalem, and as they would go, they would sing these songs. Maybe you don't know this, but um, the Psalms are actually uh, a hymn book called the Psalter. And so these things would be sung. And these particular ones um, were, were meant to lift our eyes up. So they would sing these as they went. Now, as they went to Jerusalem, of course, there was a lot of, there was a lot of different um, things that they could have encountered along that journey. There could have been dangers from people who were hiding out in the hills. It was just a hard journey, right? You're thinking about that time in Israel's history, just the desert area, just trying to walk along. And so they would sing these. But the reason they did that is the same purpose that we want to go after as God's people. It's to lift our eyes. Because what they were remembering when they sang these is that the Lord is actually where their help come from, that they needed to look off of their everyday present circumstances and be remem- reminded, rather, of God's faithfulness. See, these were written because they, they understood something, that God was faithful. He'd been faithful in the Exodus. He'd been faithful to them in the exile, so during the Babylonian captivity. There was a lot of other times throughout Israel's history that although they, um, they disobeyed, God was faithful to his people. And so as they were in their ever-present journey, what they needed really to do is to remind themselves. See, the Psalms serve to do that. In case you didn't know that, they are a reminder of what's already true about God. One of the reasons, even as God's people, that we sing truths about, about God himself is that we and our soul might be reminded that this is true. So when they thought about the faithfulness of the Lord, here's what, here's what the design was. Man, we as God's people just got to remember it, we've got to trust it, we've got to believe it, because that will start to shape our lives. I don't know if you recognize this, if this has been true for you, but a lot of times that we live our life by responding to what's right in front of us. So this morning, I don't know what it is that may be pressing on you. Maybe you come in here and there's some really big things that are pressing on your life. But perhaps for some of us, it's just the everyday reality of us having to live in a world in which sin has created the reality that everything is broken and doesn't function as it's supposed to. And we can live with only our circumstances as being the thing that shapes how we live and respond to all of life. 
just what it looks like. So what we need to do as God's people is, is we need to understand what it means to look up. So let me give you a profound statement. What does it mean to look up? Stop looking down. Pretty simple. Don't look down. So in my family, I have had the responsibility of teaching all of my children to drive. Now, that's not because my wife is not fully capable. I'm pretty convinced that she would tell you if you caught her in the lobby afterwards that she is probably a better driver than I. I take issue with that, but I think she thinks she's a better driver. But here's what I know. When we were teaching our kids to drive, um, my kids found that her screams of terror from the passenger seat were very distracting to the process of learning how to drive. They're like, Dad, you cannot let Mom teach us. And she was fine with that just to let us kind of do that. So we taught, I taught our kids to drive. And one of the things that I taught them to do is you can't look at what's just in front of you. You've got to look up or you're never going to avoid the ditch. If you're always looking just in front of you, it's a surefire way for your, your car to go in the ditch and ultimately your life. That's the point of this song. If I could put it in a nutshell, it's to do that. It's so that we might look up because there's a reality, as I said, that we tend to look right here with respect to our lives. So when we go into Psalm 121, I want you to just keep that in your memory. I want you to just think about the fact that it is designed to lift our eyes towards God. And then we're going to read together and then we're going to pull some part Um, some truths that I think God has for us in this. All right, Psalm 121, I hope you're there by now. It says this, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved, but he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper, The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's just pray, church, and then we're going to jump in. Father, I pray, God, that you just would in this moment um, just stir our hearts in affection for you. God, that we we might look at this at this psalm, and that we might be reminded of what's already true. God, that we might be reminded of your faithfulness, your goodness to us. Father, that we might be reminded that you are our helper, that you are our protector. God, that outside of you, we can do nothing as we try to navigate this life. And so, Father, I I pray that you would just bring encouragement and comfort this morning to the places and the lives that, that need to be comforted and encouraged. And Father, those who maybe are not in that place this morning, would you use them in a mighty way to do that for other people? Father, I pray that we would um, just garner so much from your word this morning. We ask for the spirit to enlighten us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll try to get through this. Mark said last week that uh, he lost his voice. I think he gave it to me. I don't know what the deal is with that. And so uh, I lost my voice earlier this week, and I'm still kind of trying to recover from that. It's crazy. I was going to make some cultural reference to sounding like Barry White this morning, and then I realized half of the congregation is going to have no idea who Barry White is. So you can Google that. Not now, like wait till I'm done preaching, but you can Google who Barry White is, and that whole joke will make a lot more sense to you afterwards. So why are these psalms even applicable to our journey through life? Why are they even applicable? 
Because as we think about life and we have to navigate all of the struggles, one of the things that we see in this text that we know is true is that the same Lord who cared for his people then is the same Lord who cares for his people now. That that truth has never changed. How we feel about it sometimes changes, but that truth has never changed. So as the, as the hearers today, we need these psalms as much as they did then. Because in our own lives, what happens is we, we tend to be prone just to forget the works of God. And when we do that, life kind of comes at us in such a way, doesn't it, that it lands on us and we just forget God's faithfulness. We forget his goodness. And what lands on our soul a lot of times is moments of doubt or moments of discouragement or moments of despair. And I don't care if those moments of of really struggle are catastrophic in your life or you would classify them over here as a little bit more mundane. At the end of the day, life feels hard for one reason. It is. It is. So let's not sugarcoat that because we do live in a world where the impacts of sin that lead to all of the brokenness actually impacts every aspect of our life. So whether you did come in this morning and you say, you know what, I've encountered something this week that has brought struggles to my soul that are catastrophic. Or if you come in and you say, you know what, I can't even, I can't even give like tangible words to it. I just know that life is hard. Wherever you're at this morning, I want you to know that God has a word for us. Now, I'm not, I'm not naive. Not every moment in life that we experience is bad. So don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. But there are moments as we live in this world where struggles actually do land on our soul and it produces in us anger and fear and just bitterness and despair and doubt and all of those things which we term struggles. So the question, if that's true, if it's true for you, if it's ever been true for you, or when it will be true for you, why look up? Why look up? What difference does it actually make to move our eyes from our present circumstances to God? Well, that's the one thing that I want you to really wrap your head around as we look at Psalm 121. And it's this, that the Lord is the help that I'm searching for in every one of life's struggles. Every one of life's struggles. So I was intentional when I wrote that sentence. If you take notes, I would even circle every one of life's struggles because we tend to categorize God, think that God is really good for helping us in certain struggles, but maybe not all of the mundane struggles of life. And yet that's not at all what the psalmist says, because in verse 8, when he says, the Lord will keep you, the Lord will keep, you're going out and you're coming in, here's what he's saying. He said, every moment of your life. See, in, in this culture, what they had to do is they had to get up, they predominantly lived in the city, they had to go outside of the city to work, they had to come back. Isn't it amazing when God's word speaks to the everyday realities? Because the psalmist isn't just talking about those moments that, that land on us that, that we don't want to face. But he's saying, no, as you go to work, as you come home. And while we're going to get to it a little bit later, what's really cool about this is that there are, there are two ways that the Lord is going to help and keep us. Because in verse 5, he says something that I think is important to draw out. He says, the Lord is your keeper. That's an ever-present now reality. It's an ever-present now reality. You don't have to believe that in this moment. You don't have to feel like that's true, which is often maybe is a better way to say it, but it's true. There's a now reality. 
But then the tense in the psalm changes a little bit because in verse 7 he says, and the Lord will keep you. So think about it this way. As you go, as you come, as you do your everyday things, the Lord will keep you. And he's doing that now and he will do that now and forevermore. That alone should be an encouragement just to our souls. So why is it that we look up? Why would we spend time in an entire series throughout the summer called Look Up just to drill down on these particular realities? Well, it's because looking up really reframes our view of God as, as our helper in the midst of all of those struggles. So here's what I want to do for us this morning. I'm going to give us, out of this text, just two blessings that we see. And, and the reason that I use the word blessings is because this was also a liturgical psalm, so the priest would actually say this, sing this, almost as a blessing over his people. And so we're going to use the word blessing. I think that's appropriate because these are blessings. So this first blessing comes out of verses 1 and 2, and it says, again, let me just remind you. It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Here's that first blessing. The Lord is my helper means that I can experience confidence in God's power in the midst of life's struggles. That I can experience confidence in God's power in the midst of life's struggles. You believe that? Because I mean, we're really good at saying that we believe that, but honestly, when it intersects those difficult moments of life, it's not always easy to live it out, is it? Let's just be honest with one another. Let me ask you a question that helps frame this a little bit. So what struggle are you experiencing that has maybe eroded your confidence that the Lord is your helper? What has eroded your, if you came in this morning and said, you know what, I know this is true, but this is why I don't have confidence necessarily in that. Is it just something as simple as like, listen, Aaron, I'm honest with you. Life just didn't turn out the way that I thought it was going to turn out. What I had planned when I graduated high school and what I thought life was going to look like, like, like it, it, it didn't turn out that way. Marriage, man, that didn't turn out at all like I thought that was going to be. Kids, like I love watching in this room all of the, the new babies that are born. I'm glad that we're like, I, my youngest is 18, so we're pretty much empty nesters here. So praise Jesus. I love looking at all the little babies, but here's what I know. When you bring those little ones home, what that looks like at 18 is totally different. A lot of times there's unexpected roads that, that you have to travel as you go down that. Isn't that true? So kids or your health or, I mean, we could go on. The list, the list really is never ending. I think some of the things that really are hard is the midst of that is all the relational hurts that just kind of land on us. You cannot live very long in this world without experiencing relational hurts from other people. Bottom line, that's going to happen because we are two, you know, a multitude of sinful people trying to live in a broken world together and we will sin against one another. And what I often see happen is it leads to places of just spiritual dryness. And it leads to a place where we kind of like, man, I just don't know if life ever is going to get any better. You know what that does? Or at least it does for me, if I can be open with you. It, 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 for me, it tends to just kind of bring out questions in my soul. Like, I start to ask. I've gone through struggles in my life, and I really had to have some rough and, and times of tumultuous questioning with God. If that's you, you're in good company, because you know what? The psalmist is in the same way. He's on a journey, both physically, so they're, like, 
actually would sing this as they walked through Jerusalem, but the psalm is also this metaphor for all of life's journey. Because remember, they're singing about the ways that God was faithful at these different times in the history of, of, the, of the Jewish people. And, and as he does this, he asks a question about where he finds his help. That's verse 1, right? I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? So this is a first person. Like he's kind of talking to himself here in case you didn't know that. And he answers the question I think like a lot of us would. Well, from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. So if you grew up in church, isn't that the answer we're supposed to give? Well, you know, I mean, you're in the middle of life struggles. Where does your help come from? Oh, it comes from the Lord. So shouldn't that pose some other questions for us? It does for me. Like, why is that true? Why is it that I can, I can be confident that the Lord is actually my helper. Well, the psalmist answers himself, and he says, no, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Look what he does, because this is fascinating. He draws on creation for his conclusion, and he says, you know what? The one who made all of this, that's where my help comes from. Don't miss this. He anchors him, his help in the one who creates everything, the one who spoke it into existence, from the time it didn't exist to now it exists. So as he walks along this journey to Jerusalem and he looks at the mountains, maybe he looks at the Sea of Galilee, he sees the expanse just in his little narrow view of life and he says, all of this, my help doesn't come from the things that I'm in the midst of that are created, whatever that creation looks like. Now it comes from the one who made this. He, he anchors it in Creation. You know what confidence really is for us? It's just being certain about the truth of something and the belief that you can actually rely on something or someone. Let me let you in on a secret in case you didn't know. Every single day, every single one of us puts confidence in something. Put confidence in something. This weekend, put confidence in American Airlines. So my son had the privilege of flying out to Oregon on Friday, at least that was supposed to happen, in order to spend a couple of weeks with his best friend, post-graduation, all of this kind of cool things that they get to do. We, like it was a really early flight, so let's just be honest. Aaron, I I was up, but Jen took her. Jen took him to the airport at 5 o'clock in the morning, not me. Gets there, about an hour later, Andrew calls me. He says, Hey, Dad, um, the flight got delayed. The pilots didn't show up. Okay, so it's Greensboro. Like, where are they at, right? Wouldn't that be the conclusion? We started to look at it. Well, there's no way now he can make his connection to Eugene, Oregon in the middle of, uh, in the middle of Dallas, and so we have to bring him back home. So we get on the phone uh, to American Airlines, and we rebook him for Saturday, and so Saturday morning, back up at 5 a.m., take him back there. He gets there, he flies out, he gets to Dallas, Everything's going fine. Now, this is the first time he's flown a lot by himself, but this is the first time that he's had to make his own connections. He's much more confident in his ability than his parents are in his own ability. I don't know what that says about us, really, because he does fine. He gets to Dallas, gets on the plane. They push back. He calls me again or texts me. Dad, we're delayed again. There's a maintenance issue on this plane. They're waiting for a part. I'm like, good grief, what in the world is going on with this airline, right? 
They sit there for an hour or so. Finally, they install a new part, which does not evoke tremendous amounts of confidence when they can throw an air, a part at an airplane in 30 minutes, and now it's good to fly. I don't, you know, whatever. But he was on his way. Here's the point. I put confidence in American Airlines in order to get our son there. More times than not, the places we put our confidence is in ourselves. That's where we put most of our confidence. And it's especially true in the midst of the struggles that we experience in life. Because, quite honestly, we look at the struggles and we say, you know what, I'm the best person to actually solve this. So our confidence just lands on us. Now, as Christians, that's not what we say. As Christians, we say, no, 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 my confidence is in Christ. Now, that's true in every way that that's true. But you have to ask yourself the same question we asked earlier. Why? Why can I say that my confidence is in Christ when actually I want to live as though my confidence is in myself? Well, one of the reasons, obviously, is that if you're a follower of Christ, this is what you've believed, that the resurrection is true. See, if Jesus didn't get out of the grave, we shouldn't be here. We should be at brunch. Go home. But we know it's true. The resurrection happened. But not only that, as glorious as it is, and I often call it the explanation point in the midst of our faith, it's also true that we can have confidence in Christ, that is, because it's through Jesus that all of creation was made. There is an unbelievable, undeniable power that we get to see in that. See, John 1 puts it this way. In the beginning was the Word, talking about Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Colossians also says the same thing. We won't turn there, but it talks about it is through Christ that all things were created. Do you know what that means for you if you are a follower of Christ? Man, and if you're not a follower of Christ, I, man, I'm hoping the, stir, the Spirit is stirring in you and that you come to that place where you're like, man, I need to find out more about this. But for those of us in this room who are followers of Christ, that means the power of Christ in creation means nothing you experience is beyond his control or outside of his ability. Now, I know it doesn't always land on us that way. It doesn't always feel like that. I get that. But there's a difference between what is true and how we actually encounter it in our soul, in our spirit, how we feel about it emotionally. But it also means that my confidence doesn't rest on me but in Jesus. And that's a great thing. There is a freeing moment in our life when we actually come to that place and say, you know what, my confidence is in Christ. I, I'm not very good. And see, because Jesus, the, the second member of the Godhead, has shown his power in his creation, because he's, he's demonstrated to us his redeeming work on the cross, that he's brought those of us who have trusted Christ into this relationship with him, that means that our confidence is rooted in Christ. Now, do I know that there's this tension that goes on in our soul between sometimes we're over here and putting our confidence in ourselves, and sometimes we're living it over here and putting it in Christ? Absolutely, I do. That's a reality that you're not all the way yet home. But it does mean that we can move our confidence. See, we live in a world where personal power is everything. You know that, right? I mean, self-help, 
self-empowerment, self-confidence. Everything says it's about you. And here's what the problem with that is. It puts a weight on you that you were not meant to carry. You can't do that. You can't support the weight of your, you know, the world on your shoulders, let alone most of your own life. And so what happens is it just collides with what's actually true. Because we, we come to this place in our life, whether or not we'll admit it, that we just understand something. Like my power is pretty limited. My, my self-confidence, shaky at best. So what we actually need is, as followers of Christ is confidence in someone that is far greater than us. Now, that's already true, church. The difference is, for those of us who have followed Christ, is that we actually sometimes just don't see how the gospel is actually growing us in confidence. From a theological perspective, we call it sanctification. From the moment that you were saved until the moment that Jesus calls you home, you're in the process of being transformed to look more and more like Christ. That's what he does. Now that road is bumpy, and it has pitfalls, and it does often look smooth, and sometimes you feel like I've taken three steps forward and 14 backwards. You ever feel like that? But here's what I know. That if you are Because you are a child of God. For those who he started a work, he will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Means that you can rest assuredly that you are looking more and more and more like Jesus. Do you know what we need to do in this first point? We just need to look at some of the indicators that remind us and and allow us to see maybe with greater clarity that we actually have growing confidence in the power of God, even when we don't necessarily recognize it. So what does that look like? Well, I want us to look, first of all, at what the Apostle Paul wrote. Actually, let me do this first. Because um, I use the word indicator, and I think it's helpful for us just to understand what I mean by that, actually. So an indicator. Think of, I, I use airplane analogies a lot. I use this in the first service, but maybe the dashboard in your car is a little bit better. Um, here's what I know. The gauges tell you something objectively, don't they? So you can feel all day long like you have enough gas in the tank. But most of the time, regardless of what you feel about it, the reality that that thing is on E and the constant chime keeps happening means you're about out of gas. Now I know, some of you have got that nailed down all the way to you're like, I got 13 miles left. When that light comes on. I I get it. Like, whatever. You're braver than I am. But here's the thing. We look at that to give us an objective indication of what's happening. And and I think that, that although we can find a ton of different examples throughout Scripture, it seems like when we talk about God's power, it seems like the Apostle Paul really gives us some good indicators of what this confidence looks like that's experienced while we're in the midst of these struggles. And so hopefully this helps you in just seeing how maybe... Your confidence is growing, but it doesn't feel like it. So he writes this in Philippians 4. Verse 11 is where I'm at. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, We can't read that without a little context. Philippians is one of the prison epistles. Paul is writing from prison with two realities. He's either going to be freed 
or he's going to be executed. Can we just pause a moment and just try to internalize what kind of emotional, spiritual, and physical pressure that would bring to you? Because most of us don't face that on a daily basis. Most of us don't face the, the, this reality where tomorrow could be the day that I die because, you know, the emperor is just going to decide to lop my head off. Most of us don't live like that. But that's the truth for Paul. So when he writes this, it's, it's, it's not this flippant way, I think, that we often use this text. Now he says it with the understanding that because of the presence and power of Jesus in his life, he can be confident in Christ and not himself. And so I think he gives us three indicators. Here's the first one. Growing confidence just knows that all of my needs will be met. All of my needs. Every need. Every need you have will be met in Christ. Do you know why we doubt this? At least this is what I suspect. It's true for me. Maybe it's true for you. There's a gap in our expectation between what we believe we need and what the Lord knows we need in any given moment. So we serve a God that is transcended outside of space and time. He's the one that is writing your whole story. But when struggles land on my life, I tend to know best, at least I think, what I need most in the current situation. And then when God fails to meet the expectations that I've set before him, man, what happens? And I get frustrated. It's easy in that moment just to doubt and go into despair. See, the whole point of what we're looking at in all the Psalms is that's true for every single human being alive. We have to spend some time looking up and reminding ourselves because when life lands on you, you will have this tendency. God, this is how I expect you to deliver me. And when you don't deliver me, I'm going to fall into moments of despair. You know when we often be able to see that he will meet all of our needs? A lot of times just with hindsight. A lot of times we just need to spend some time, and it's really what I think the psalm does a great job at, is looking back. See, they wouldn't have been able to read this and not remember, even if they didn't experience it. The exodus, now, in all likelihood, they'll remember the exile because this was probably written shortly after the exile, out of Babylonian captivity, when they spent all of that time in, modern, you know, in, where, in the area of Persia. So they would have been able to look back, and they just said, you know, God delivered us over and over and over again. But in the middle of that, we just really couldn't see it. I know one of the things that, um, and I wished we had, I wished Jenny and I had written things down, but I remember, I've, I've told some of you, um, you know, I took a, a lead pastorate role several years back out in Colorado. We had to, we left Florida at that time, went out there. We knew it was going to be a, a challenge. We knew it was going to land hard on me and Jen and our family. We couldn't begin to tell you how hard that was going to be, but, but it ended up, ended up being a lot harder, but, um, so I like food, and so what we would do every, remember this, Jen, every Monday night, we would go spend some time at Carabas, and we would sit in a booth, and we would just recount all the ways that God was faithful in leading us up to the things that he was calling us to do. And you know what? I can't tell you how many times we needed that. Because in the middle of some of the, the hardest moments of life, when my kids were feeling the effects of relational hurts that I never wanted them to experience, we needed to remember the ways that the Lord had done what only he could do. And without that, we had no bearing in the middle of that for us to be able to see and understand and remember that it was the Lord who was at work. 
And I didn't have to like what I experienced. You don't have to like what you're experiencing. I just want you to know this. The Lord's going to meet your needs. Here's the second indicator. Your growing confidence knows this, that my contentment is not rooted in my circumstances. See, contentment for us is often shaped by our circumstances. But Paul writes that his contentment is not in his circumstances, but it's actually in Christ who is over them. Just get that picture. If I was Paul, I'd be emotionally undone, wouldn't you? Like if I didn't know the very next day if they were to come drag me out, I'd be like, I'd be a wreck. He's like, well, I actually anticipate being released, but if they kill me, I'll be with Jesus. That's the posture I want to have. And Paul just says, my contentment is in Christ who's over these things. And for all of us, I don't know about you, but here's what I want. I want my contentment to be shaped by the presence and power of Jesus. Now, how does that happen? And we experience that through his word. You know why we're walking through Psalm 121? Why we're going to walk through all the Psalms of Ascent? Because it's one of the ways that we experience the power and presence of Jesus. When you read his word, which is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, it speaks to your soul in ways that are unexplainable at times. Here's the third indicator. Growing confidence knows this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Especially, we're living in the South now, right? If there's a verse that is more taken out of context in all Scripture, I don't know which, I don't know, this is it, right? So this doesn't mean that you can go out of here and uh, be a power lifter if you've never lifted weights. Like, that doesn't, that, like, I, Aaron should not leave here and try to perform neurosurgery. Like, that shouldn't happen, right? It's not, I can do anything that I want. you got to understand the context, Paul is facing all of the things that I just shared with you, and he said, you know what? I'm just describing to you, church in Philippi, the ways that I can endure because of the strength that is Jesus in me. I can face what I don't want to face. That's what he's saying in, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, and I, I want that powerful truth to permeate my soul. Because here's what I know. That reality is a supernatural phenomenon that happens for followers of Jesus Christ when there is a peace that passes all understanding that you cannot explain. And I don't know if you've had that experience yet in your life, but what's true because the Holy Spirit of God indwells you that in the midst of some of your struggles, there is an unspeakable peace that comes over you. You know what that is? That's the confidence that Christ is doing in and through you, a strengthening that you do not possess in and of yourself. You can have confidence because the God who created everything provides it. Christ secured it. The Holy Spirit will confirm it, and that allows you to live it and live it differently. Here's the second blessing. i got to go quick. It's found in verses 3 through 8. Let me just read a couple of things. It says, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. You know what that blessing that kind of just rises out of this text is? I think it's this, that the Lord is my keeper means I can experience courage in God's protection in the middle of life struggles. Let me ask you the same question that I asked earlier, just in a different way, I guess. What struggle are you experiencing that has eroded your courage that the Lord is your keeper? So 
Just think about that for a moment. What things have you encountered in the everyday life that just begins to erode your confidence? You know, when, it, when it's hardest for me is when I just feel abandoned. In the midst of struggles, a lot of times what happens is, is I don't feel protected. I don't feel safe. I feel like the Lord has abandoned me. And then all of a sudden, fear becomes a constant companion. And everything in life just seems to be hard. As silly as that is, even, um, even like this week, so I spent the last few days on the couch like not feeling good, which I know, right, for us guys is probably far greater than the reality. Um, I think my wife looks at me like, you're not that sick, get up. But I went to the, uh, I'm, tr- I'm trying to write this message, I went to the refrigerator and I went to get a drink of water and so I, I you know, pushed the thing for the ice and, and all of a sudden my ice maker decides to release ice all over the floor and I get mad and, you know, say some things and like, and I literally, I said this, like, why is life so hard? Now, granted, in the grand scheme of life, we're talking about ice on the floor. But, he, but here's the reality, church. Like, I didn't feel good. I just wanted to be on the couch. I just wanted a drink of water for my throat. And in that moment, life felt ridiculously hard because I had to bend over and I had to pick up all of this ice. I'm, I'm not feeling the sympathy like I thought I was <laughs> feeling this, but... I digress, nonetheless. Here's what I want you to know that that the psalmist really shares in Psalm 121. In this psalm, five times he uses the word keeper, which can also be translated guardian or your guard. And because I've already shared with you kind of a first-person scenario that's going on here, I want you to see something that is applicable to us. The psalmist is speaking to his own soul. So, when he sings, he's, he's saying, like, he's, he's not asking this question of somebody else, like, where does my help come from? The Lord is my... No, he's saying, like, I know where that happens, and he's speaking to his own soul. And he's saying this, the Lord is the keeper in all the moments of my life. And what are some of the things that he reminds himself of? That God never sleeps. Like, you sleep. The pagan gods of that world in that time slept. The God who creates everything, he doesn't sleep. See, here's what I want you to know. The true courage in that way is never self-determined grit alone. Courage for the believer is just knowing that your Savior is far greater. That's what you begin to see that flavors this text a little bit. Well, Paul kind of writes that, I think, over in Romans 8 in this glorious text when he says this, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. What's he saying there? Like everything, right? Everything that you experience, none of those things will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like nothing is going to separate you. So church, here's what you need to understand. This is what we need to remind ourselves. Because this is true, because we have been redeemed, because we are now children of God, We can stand knowing that Christ is our advocate. So how do we believe that? Well, again, let's just look at something that Paul writes in Philippians. Because we're going to get a few of these indicators, I think, again, for our life, of what growing courage. One is growing confidence. But now let's go to to look at what growing courage actually looks like in God's protection. Because you know what I think? 
and, and you can tell me later if you don't think this is true, but when those struggles really start to hit on us, a lot of times it's, we just don't believe in that moment that God is our protector. We don't have the courage to believe that. He writes this in Philippians 4, like the last part of verse 5 all the way through 7. The Lord is at hand. If you've got a regular Bible, I would encourage you to even circle that phrase, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Here's this, this first indicator. Growing courage says that I can do this. I can go to prayers of requests. And I can go to prayers of requests. Why? Look at what it says in that last part of verse 5. The Lord is at hand, meaning that the sense of his presence is experienced in my conversation with him. See, prayer is this courage that I can trust that the God has the power and the desire and the ability to act because of his promises in accordance with his will. Now, I want to show you how the psalmist says that in 121. Because what he says here a couple of times is he says, the Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. A lot of times we, we read a phrase like that, even in modern English, we're like, what, well, what does that mean? Well, here's what that looks like. So on the journey to Jerusalem, especially when they were headed south, as the sun would start to set, Right? It would become very hot. We're thinking desert, miserable, heat bearing down. And so if someone was walking alongside of you that was very tall, they would actually be a, a provider of shade to your right. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not going to experience some of the effects of the heat. See the metaphor for life? See, you are. But there's this reality that what stands between you and the thing that is most oppressive is God. And so when we understand that that is also Christ Jesus... Because those of us who have been redeemed, saved, transformed by the gospel, that even as we go through life, he stands between us and everything that desires to, to come against us. That means because of the power that he possesses, we actually can go to him. We can actually pray with a courage that is rooted in Christ that's beyond our abilities because there he is between us and everything that wants to come against you. I see this a lot of times, and I'm not sure exactly what it means, but people, when people nowadays, mainly those outside the church, um, so if, if this is you, like, don't send me emails, but we actually ask for prayer requests like this way. Hey, can you pray or send me good vibes? I have no idea what that means. How am I supposed to send somebody good vibes? What, what am I supposed to do? Have you ever read that and said, and, and people respond, I'll send you good vibes. How? Like, what are you doing that I don't know about? Now, granted, I know that I'm like the oldest dude on staff here, but still, at the same time, like, I don't know what that means. So I had to think about it for a little while. I'm like, you know what? Really, there's an essence of something that's being said in that, and it's this. The essence of what's being said is this wishful thinking that says, I want you, like I'm sharing that with you, I want you to experience my presence from a distance. Like, that's what you're saying in the middle of that. Now, that's sweet and it's sentimental, but it's powerless. It's powerless. Because here's what I know that you need if you ask me to go on your behalf with prayers of requests. You don't need my limited ability. Amen? You need the creator of the universe 
who can bring courage and comfort and confidence in your life. And if you're, you're hoping to just be comforted by me, you're going to be disappointed. Oh, but when we pray with courage, what we're saying is, I'm actually going to implore the one who can make a difference in our life. Here's the second indicator. Got to go quick. Growing courage says this. I can also go to prayers of thanksgiving. Why? Why can I do that? Verse 5, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. That should not be a statement that we quickly overlook in Philippians 5, because the meaning of it is that his presence is something I can experience in the midst of my gratitude. You know, gratitude is not just something that is given when life delivers us what we want or what we expect. Gratitude is thanking God for what we know is true when it feels like there is nothing to be thankful for. That's what gratitude looks like. Now, I want to be very thankful for the good things in life and the blessings and all those things, but when is the last time that you had the courage to be thankful for things in the middle of, of something that you really didn't feel thankful for? That's not born in and of you. It's not your self-will determination. It's the courage that you have because you are in Christ, in Christ alone. So that courage is just, it's just an indication of the growing trust whether life or death or whatever else that delivers to you, Jesus is our protector, and he alone. Third indicator, growing courage, says this, that I can rejoice. Why? Same reason, because the Lord is at hand. It means that his presence can be experienced in my praise. Can we just be real for a moment here as a church? Let's stop minimizing pain. Struggles in our life bring about pain. Now, I get it. There are degrees. What brings pain in our life may be more severe and traumatic at different times than other things. But you cannot live in a broken world and not experience pain. It's just a reality. And so in the middle of this, whether you, whether you want to deny even your own pain, I just want to encourage you with something. Like in the middle of that, let's just rejoice in what we, what we might view as minimal pain. But let's also rejoice in significant pain. And not in the pain itself. I'm not telling you that you need to, you know, I don't know, be weird in that. Oh, bring it on. I like pain. Like no one does. If you, if you do, we need to have much deeper conversations than we're having right now. But in the middle of that, that courage, it does allow you to rejoice. And when we rejoice, you know what it does? It changes our posture and our attitude towards the circumstances that we're experiencing in the moment. That's what it does. It changes everything. I've shared some of this story with you um, before, but, um, you know, Jenny and I's best friends um, from years and years and years ago in, in Florida. Uh, so Fred and Julie and, and so sweet Julie, Jenny's best friend, passed away a few years ago at age 49 of ovarian cancer. Very traumatic experience. We were in that hotel room, or hotel room, hospital room, um, as, as her life um, was ending. And so if you've been in that, you know, that's a, that's, those are not... Um, those are not fun experiences by any stretch of the imagination, but they have sweet moments. And so we were there with family. I mean, that was, that was like a sister. 
And um, as, as the day progressed, and we, we knew that, that Julie's time to be with Jesus was soon approaching. Um, one of the things that I will never forget as long as I live is that her husband, Fred, um, he took out his, his cell phone and he started to play music and he played in Christ alone, right? And just that beautiful, and if you've ever heard that modern day hymn of Christ alone, like I don't want to sing it for you because I shouldn't, but like go home and, in Christ alone and he sang it as Julie was in her labored breathing. Now listen, if in an hour, Julie was still going to be in the presence of Jesus. The pain was still real and not minimized. He still had to be a widower and deal with that, and their daughter still had to grow up, having lost her mom at a, at a young age. Those things were always true. But church, there is something about the courage that we have in Christ when in the midst of our deepest pain and our darkest, darkest struggles that we rejoice anyways. It changes you. You know what we're going to do in a minute? Because in a moment, when they all come out and we start to sing, you know why we do that? Same reason. Because God is worthy. Because it helps us rejoice. I don't know if you've ever wondered, like, why do we sing in church? Same reason they sang Psalm 121. It just changes our perspective. So what is the Lord doing in your heart even this morning? I don't know, but I'm hoping through this text that what you have seen is that as you, as you see how God is growing you, you also know that it just results in a growing peace. peace that passes all understanding, a peace that guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. I know. Those struggles, they tend to pull us apart emotionally, derail us spiritually. I get it. Often, that leads us to a posture of just giving up. I can't do it anymore, Lord. Is that where you're today? Would, would that be a reality in your life? You're like, I, I can't do it anymore. I just want you to know that we look up not because God has changed. We just need to be reminded of the reality. So I got to experience this already in the first service, but so Crystal's going to lead us in a moment and it's kind of in this new version of Turn Your Eyes. And that's what it's designed to do. To turn our eyes, focus our hearts, and reposture our souls and remember why it is have the ability to look up in your darkest days. Father, thank you for what you've done this morning. Father, I pray that you would encourage us, that you would comfort us, that you would challenge us. Father, thank you for growing us and thank you for demonstrating the ways that you have continued to grow us. And Lord, I don't know who in this room needs to hear these words from your word in Psalm 121, but I pray that they would land on their soul in fresh ways. Father, we thank you for all that you are doing in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.